Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Welcome to the Buker and Friends podcast. Here is your host. Let's send it over to Rick Buker. Rick Buker. Welcome to another episode of Buker and Friends, part of the United WeCast Network. I'm Rick Buker. You can see me on FS1. You can read me on Bleacher Report. You can also hear me on radio.com. You can follow me on Twitter at Rick Buker and on Instagram at Rick underscore Buker. Before we get started, I want to give a quick shout out to our sponsor, CycleCast. Now, I actually found CycleCast on my own before they became a sponsor of the podcast. I was looking for something that was going to make my workouts more enjoyable, more challenging, and still conducive to my uh, my busy schedule. And I was a little tired of creating new pay- playlists. I was just I was bored of the whole thing. I needed something fresh, and I found it in CycleCast. It's an app that provides studio-quality classes for both indoor cycling and running workouts, indoor and outdoor, and uh, you can use the app on your iOS or Android phone, so uh, it uses minimal battery and data. You can take it anywhere you go, on the road, any gym, any kind of bike, Running programs, as I said, are both indoor and outdoor. For right now, if you use the promotional code BUCHER, B-U-C-H-E-R, you'll not only get the seven free day trial that CycleCast gives everyone, you'll get four free additional weeks. That's five weeks of killer beats, guided workouts, great instructors. Shout out to Shanda, Noel, and, and Rachel, and Jonathan. Listen, CycleCast, you're gonna love where this app takes you. Don't forget. Buker, B-U-C-H-E-R, to get five free weeks. It is my pleasure to have a former Wizard lottery pick, former Nick, former Rocket, former Blazer, former player personnel director for Denver Nuggets. The The list goes on. Jared Jeffries, now the host of a brand new <laughs> podcast, Rookie Year. And you can also see him on the studio show with the uh, Washington Wizards, one of his former teams. Jared, thank you so much for, for joining us. How are you? What's up at all, buddy? Morning, morning. Good. Uh, welcome to the podcast world. I, I, I love this idea. Um, it's um, inviting pro athletes from a multitude of sports to talk about their first year as a, a pro and I assume all the trials and tribulations that go along with it. Uh, what, what inspired you to go down this road with this podcast? It was funny, man. Actually, Tim Conley, the president of the Nuggets, when I was working there, me and him started kicking around podcast ideas. So this has been 
you know, four or five years in the making. And we kept looking for kind of something cool and fun to do that we were able to like kind of lock in and focus on, you know, one part of someone's life. And this was really what we came up with. Um, and we also wanted to do a bunch of different sports yeah. <clears throat> just because, you know, a lot of people, um, you know, they might hear about basketball, but they don't know about, like, we have Gabrielle Reese on and kind of, you know, being a professional volleyball player because he beats volleyball. And then um, we have a few UFC fighters that come on. Like, So it's, it's it's pretty cool to hear about the similarities and the differences of somebody when, maybe, when they first turn professional. Yeah, no doubt. So what's more difficult, the first year as a pro athlete or the first year as an ex-pro athlete? <laughs> probably your first year as an ex-pro athlete because your, your paycheck looks so different. <laughs> <laughs> sure. Uh, but, uh, you know, your first year as a pro is really, really, really hard. But um, when you retire, for me, I knew that the end was close, so it wasn't that hard. I think for a lot of guys, if the end kind of happened abruptly, then it's a little bit tougher. Yeah. And it's funny you say that that first year as a pro is so hard. And I think most people, most fans, most people outside of sports would say, are you kidding me? Like, you're probably 19, 20, 21 years old. You've just been handed millions of dollars. You're flying around on charter planes. You're playing in front of thousands. What's so hard about that? What, what... What is it that people don't know about what you've just walked into in spite of all those outside things? Um, you know, going out there and playing 82 nights a year, um, even when you're in college and now college games, I mean, teams are playing almost 50 games a year. But when I was playing, you were playing, you know, like mid-30s a year. So you would have long stretches off. And the atmosphere of college games are so different. I mean, every college game that you play, <clears throat> excuse me, is so intense, and it's a rivalry or it's a Big Ten game. Let me tell you something, man. It's tough when you walk into an NBA arena, and you know it's cold outside, and the team you're playing is not that good, and you're not, yeah, you're not that good. And there's like five or six thousand fans in the stands um, to begin the game. I mean, that's that's a tough feeling coming from larger colleges. Yeah. And then it's just the time management. You know, before you had your friends around, you would have the camaraderie of college. Now you come on to an NBA team. Some of these guys are in their 30s, um, you know, families. You're not all the same age. You don't have all like interests. interests. And you got to find some way to kill your time because now you don't have class. You don't have tutors. You don't have meals together as a team. It's just you by yourself. And it sometimes it can get lonely, man. So, you know, because you're so used to having the high school, college mentality. Yeah, no, no doubt. And so, what was the biggest mistake looking back that you made as a rookie? I think the biggest mistake as a rookie that I made was not locking in on kind of what it took to play. I think that player development now for young players is times better than when I came in the league. I mean, you're talking about when I came in, you had four or five coaches, and those four or five coaches worried about game plans and doing that. <clears throat> and player development 
was just you, you know, looking at listening to other listening to coaches and doing that. I should have done a better job of recognizing what it took to get on the court and how to be effective because it was more up to you as a player back then. Now, some, some NBA teams, they travel 13 coaches and hmm. two player development guys, and they, they specifically work with a player on this aspect of their game to improve it. So I think that you're going to see so many more young players come into the league more ready to have a role on their team. Yeah. You came in, uh, obviously coming in with the Washington Wizards, but you came in and, and had an experience. I think it's kind of extraordinary. One, being there with Michael Jordan, being there with yeah. the whole Kwame Bound, Michael Jordan uh, dynamic, yeah. uh, being there yeah. with Gilbert Arenas, who's a, a, a universe unto himself. Um, <laughs> what, like... When you look back, do you have uh, – I, I don't know if it's even a story, but I just – I wonder what it was like for not not just any player, but you were brand new. You're coming into the league, and you're walking into this Michael Jordan-Kwame dynamic. What what was that – what was that like for you <clears throat> as your introduction? It was really hard, man, because um, – on my draft night, I'll never forget this. And me and Brendan Haywood always laugh about this. Um, Kwame never did really warm up to me because on my draft night, when Doug's being interviewed, one of the first things he said and continued to say um, throughout summer league and going forward was that we finally, you know, we, we drafted a guy that will push Kwame Brown. And if Kwame's not careful, this guy will take his spot. Oh. Right. Jesus Christ, Doug. <laughs> and, I, and I and I love Doug to death, man. Like he's like right. you know, he's a, he's an absolute I do. But I mean he he just set me up for failure that, you know, Kwame was never gonna warm up to me because sure. he saw me as a threat or like sure. an enemy the whole time. So that was that was a kind of my introduction to that part of it. And the MJ dynamic, it was it really was amazing. Um we're still close friends right now. And I still say it's one of the coolest things in the world that I can be sitting somewhere and, you know, pick up the phone or shoot Michael Jordan a text, you know, like I'll be watching a basketball game or a football game somewhere and we'll go back and forth and laugh about stuff. Hmm. But it, it was, I mean, there's always a plan for stuff, but it's pretty cool that I was able to play with, you know, the greatest player ever and, you know, be 20 years old. So this is what I struggle with because I had a chance to see Michael in full and what he was. And we have all these comparisons to guys in the game now and who've come up and have been here since. And I just feel as if the comparisons are being made. And you obviously, you played him at the tail end. You weren't even with him in the Chicago years. But people don't understand who weren't, there who didn't see him on a daily basis what an absolute unrelenting killer he was and how how laser focused he was on winning and winning everything and winning every time it and i don't say this to take anything away from lebron or any of the guys subsequent but it's like if you saw that you'd go we're not having a conversation about this. I 
and the conversation that I tell people all the time is this. If you just take pure basketball skill, mm. it's going to be very hard once all the numbers and everything is final, not to say LeBron James, because he's going to be number one in scoring. He'll be top five in assists, top five in rebounds, top 10 in steals, top by top 15 in blocks, number one in minutes played, like number one in games played. So it'll be hard. Mm. But I agree with you. For someone that did more for the game of basketball, and when you saw MJ play every single night, he gave you an absolute show. Yep. I mean, James is yep. James is going to be close this year, but I think um, one of my MJ stories, and I'm, I'll probably get the year wrong, it was either 88 or 89 season when he averaged like like 38.5 that year. And when I was playing with him at the end of his career, we'd always joke around. He'd walk out to go warm up. I'm like, how you put on that M? And he would, he would look back and be like, you know, like 88. And that meant that he felt good was going to go out and, like, give somebody buckets that night. Huh. And, he, and he could, man. He he just that, – that year that he averaged almost 40 points a game and still the highest points per game unless James beats it this year. And I think he, I think he was maybe shooting two threes a game. Right. So just imagine just, – just imagine a guy going out there and hitting you in the head and coming at you with that much force to get to the line dunks, layups, mid-range. I mean, it was those were dominant performances, and you felt all those points back then because teams were only scoring 80 to you know 90 points a game. They weren't scoring 120, 130 like they are now. Sure. It was 87. He averaged yep. 37 points a game. He didn't even take a three every game. He averaged .8 threes per game. That's <laughs> like, crazy. Yeah, and I mean, to me, that's why the numbers that like the you're right, like LeBron's numbers, you can't argue with that. You can't argue no. all the different ways that he impacts the game, but the numbers for me today, you can't make that comparison because, no. like, teams are scoring 130 points and you can't defend anybody. So it's just like yep. I don't want to dismiss what's being done now, but if you're going to use no. that as the template to to say someone's better, I'm like you can't you can't do that. We're talking a completely different completely different game. Yeah, and and it was a, it was a smaller playing field also, um, and teams filled out their rosters with the best players. I think one of the things we miss now are teams probably get the best eight to nine players on their roster hmm. that they can, and maybe ten. And then those next seven roster spots are all young, just young players that really, you know, even in my generation of basketball, probably wouldn't have been in the league because coaches didn't want a bunch of young guys on the team. You know, players didn't because practice was so tough and practice was, you know, you practice every day, you know, even after sometimes after flying back and getting in late, you still go practice. So, and guys were always playing for contracts, so there was no such thing as tanking because that guy that was in a contract year, that veteran player, there was no way he was going to you know, let the team tank and sit him down because he wanted to keep playing because he wanted to prove that he needed a contract for the next year. Yeah. So the competitiveness of the NBA back then was, I mean, really, really tough, man, because it wasn't a developmental league where you were trying to find the next young player and you position for draft picks. And, you know, you're a small market team, so you didn't, you know, 
you had to get draft picks and you couldn't get free agents. It was different. Nobody cared about that. It was about, you know, winning basketball games. And I think when the Spurs, um, when David Robinson got hurt that year, and they kind of scaled stuff back to go get Tim Duncan, I think yep. they kind of created the culture that we're in now. Yeah. Put the money aside, because obviously the money today is it's pretty damn good. Put that aside. Would you have rather played now or when you played? All things equal. Uh, for sure right now. Okay. I mean, right now the freedom of movement in the game, the lack of having a position. If I could, and I wouldn't, I mean, I was a terrible shooter. But if I could just go out there and, you know, play defense what I was capable of doing, I probably would have played center most of my career and work on dribble handoff, rolling to the rim. Hmm. And there was the emphasis on double teams. See, when I still came in, you still threw the ball in the post, back the guy down, double team comes, swing, swing. You had to be able to shoot corner threes, and I couldn't shoot. So it put me in a position that I was kind of awkward hmm. offensively. In that era, it was like all about ISOs with spot-up shooting. So you had to either have a particular skill to be able to get to your shot and score, or you had to be a spot-up shooter. I hmm. think now – you see a lot more versatile players that are having big impacts on the game. I look at Ben Simmons. Do you think you would have developed yourself different coming up, knowing how the game is played? Would you have concentrated more on being a shooter, or because I, I just I look at the game in itself, and it's, I mean, shooting has become a a premium. Yeah. You have to be a threat yeah. away from the basket in the game today, or yeah. you just you don't have the same value. Um, you can be a point guard in certain situations, and you can be a center. Other than that, if you can't shoot the ball um, from three and be a threat to shoot threes, it's very difficult for you to play meaningful minutes or to be a starter in this league. Yeah. So, yeah, definitely. I mean, it, it was my generation, little generation, that you know you worked on individual ISO shots from 18 feet. You looked at being able to you know get to your spot and score um if you just worked on i think now just developing and just getting a consistent shot from a young age and focusing on you know being a good corner three shooter like look at pj tucker anthony tolliver these guys that are consistent shooters they have long careers because yep. all the need for those guys yeah no it's true hey it's ryan reynolds and i'm here with keith co-star of my upcoming film if only in theaters may 17th do you want to tell people the big news all right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. We talked about Michael playing with Michael. We talked about playing with Kwame. Uh, Gilbert Arenas, what was that experience like? The the Gilbert Arenas ride. He was probably, not probably, he was. He was the best player that I ever played with. Just in his, like obviously I played with Dane my last year, but Dane wasn't on Gilbert's level at that point. Mm-hmm. Um, Gilbert was so special. I think it was, this would have been the, Oh four, oh three, oh four year. Mm-hmm. I want to say, or the oh, or the oh four or five year. One of those two years. 
he had 53 games of 30 points or more. That's like, that's crazy, man. Yeah. Like, he was he he was one of those guys that when he crossed half court, he would shoot the ball. So he really changed the dynamic of the game. He could play in this generation of basketball and, you know, still be dominant. Why do you think that people don't think of him in in that light? Like, I mean, and, and I and I introduced it that way. Like, I think of Gilbert, and I knew how good he was, and I knew what a find he was with the with the Warriors as a second round pick, and yet the I mean, obviously the the gunplay in the locker room overshadows a lot, but that's people remember Gil for being crazy more than they remember him from being good. I think. Yeah, I think that he was crazy, but he was also one of those guys that needed constant guidance. And I think when Larry Hughes um, left the team, it really hurt us. I think that Ernie Grunfeld allowed him to get away with a lot of stuff. And it got to a point where, you know, Gil just pushed the envelope too far. So I think that there was a lot of things that could have helped him. But at the end of the day, it's definitely his fault. I mean, you can't blame anybody but him for, you know, bringing, bringing boxing gloves and, you know, putting in the locker room or, you know, showing up the shoot arounds and practices and games late. Just the eccentric, weird stuff that he did, that was definitely his fault. Right. Now, you, you cut out just a little bit there. You said he brought boxing Sorry. gloves into the locker room? <laughs> he brought boxing gloves one time with Avi's story, and they had him. And Avi pushed a boxing glove halfway on. And then Gilbert just punched him with boxing gloves right in the head. I'm like, Man, what are you doing? <laughs> oh. But that was, but, but that was like that was him. It was always, it was funny until it wasn't funny. Right. The story I heard about him running on the treadmill in his socks and running with his dogs, bringing his dogs and running them on the treadmill. Does that make any? Does that ring any bells? I mean. The stories go on and on and on. Like, we had this water hose thing in the, uh, in like the shower area back then. Yeah. He would like run out of there. And, he would like run out of there and spray people with um, the water hose, like like cold like water hose water. <laughs> you know, he would hide like he would hide your keys for like days on end. It wouldn't tell you where your keys were. I mean, it was like it was always it was it was funny, but it wasn't funny. Yeah. Did he was he ever remorseful? Like when he pulled tricks and it and it went too far, was he ever remorseful, yeah. or was he one of those guys who was just always pushing the envelope, always seeing how much you could take, always like, "Come on, dude, you got to be able to take a joke," you know? Because there's two there's there's two kinds of people w- with that, right? Yeah, I mean, he was one of those guys that he would you know, if it went too far, you did actually get mad, and you were friends. He would say sorry. But he was also a guy that, um, you know, he wouldn't stop and do it the next day again and just say sorry. So I'm not sure if he was remorseful or not. Yeah. But he also, but also um, Rob Suller, who is uh, a longtime uh, equipment manager for the Wizards, he also bought, um, you know, Rob a van for one of his children who was special needs. So uh, like, yeah. that's that's also that's also that side of Gil. Yeah. That he would do. He would do stuff like that, and he'd be like, okay, this guy is cool. And then he'd go right, right back to being crazy next week and, you know, like take somebody's rims off their car. Like, hmm. that's who he was. By the way, I mentioned at the, at the top that um, you 
were uh, or are a former player personnel director for the Denver Nuggets. Yep. A lot of guys are, they will do everything and anything to stay in the NBA cocoon. You voluntarily left to go do something else. What what inspired you to make that move? Um, I guess just always being curious about you know what's out there and what's new. Um, and you know when I was working for the Nuggets, I also Mr. Mr. Cronky, Stan Cronky, you know, gave me a fishing show on the Outdoor Channel, which right. he owned. So I, I was able to have that fishing show for a while and do that. Um, I think always pushing the envelope and not being scared of, you know, what's out there and what's next and just continue to work on different things. I think that's why I did it. And you're always going to make mistakes. Sometimes things don't work out and they fall through, but you just keep going and keep working. Yeah. You also mentioned that you, you, you prepped for post playing a post playing career because you could see the end coming. What, what did you see? What was happening where you went, you know what, my time might be up here? Um, I mean, I wasn't playing anymore. <laughs> That's, <laughs> that can often be it. Yep. Yeah, when you look up. And, but, uh, but, there are guys, but there are guys, too, that I'm sure that we both know that are like, no, I just need the right situation. Like, it's not me. Yeah. It's them. And, and yeah, they hang yeah. on, and then suddenly they find themselves same result but they're not taking account of what the deal is. I mean, you must have seen a little deeper into the game to say, hey, it's not because of where I am. It's, you know, my time is up, whether it's my skill set or age or whatever it might be. Um, what, what, what was it where you just said, or what, what, other than not playing, what was it that you felt like your expiration date was, was around the corner? Well, you know, you sit there and you start thinking about like when you, um, you know, physically, man, like you wake up in the morning mm. and it takes you so much longer to, you know, get loose. You get out of bed and like your bottom of your feet hurt, your Achilles hurts, <clears throat> you're in practice and, you know, you're having a hard time practicing every day. When you do playing games, you know, your mind tells you just get there and get that ball, get a hand on that ball, get that rebound, and you can't do it. Mm. And I think physically you can lie to yourself. So I'm sorry, mentally you can lie to yourself for a long time, but then you start recognizing that physically it's just not there. I mean, you look at some of the greatest players, the reason that they were great is as their skills diminished, their mental capacity got better, but even them at a certain point, it just catches up with you and they just can't get it anymore. There's a lot of people I, I don't think are aware when you talk about how bad you felt getting out of bed. People generally, you know, the, the average fan only sees players on the floor when they're doing athletic things that they couldn't dream of doing. Yeah. Toward the end, what, like, what was the preparation for you like to be able to get out on the floor and play at the athletic level you had to play at to be able to compete. Like, just what what did you have to go through? What did you what What was it like at the beginning when you, as you mentioned, first getting up, and then what did it require for you to be able to get your body to where it was going to respond the way you needed it to? I mean, <clears throat> I was taking an anti-inflammatory 
that you had to cycle on and off of because it was so bad for your just for you physically. So you, I would take this anti-inflammatory either it was um, three days on, one day off, or five days on, two days off. Huh. So, and I could you, I could feel my body coming off of it. Like you could like you could feel your body coming off of it. And I mean, just everything hurt. Um, you know, you, I got videos of like getting my knee drained. Um, you know, getting injections, like cortisone injections. And now it's, it's a lot different because the injury prevention has gotten better. But you know, you you prep, you know, and you train and you work two days off summer. You do all this for this seven, you know seven to nine month season and when I retired it was amazing how fast your body recovers I mean everything hurts after a game your bottom of your feet your toes you see guys sitting in ice buckets doing their feet you see guys wearing compression tights yeah just trying to get ready for the next game because you don't realize how big and powerful just the average NBA player is when the average NBA player is you know probably Six, 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 seven, like two hundred fifteen pounds. Mm-hmm. And that guy walks on the street. Everyone, everyone's like, "Wow, look how big that guy is." <laughs> but that's just the average. That's just the average player in the NBA. It's very true. It's very true. By the way, you mentioned the fishing, the, the fishing show. So, what is on your fishing bucket list that you have yet the the trip or the fish or whatever it might be that that you still have to get to get done? That's the 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 dream. Um, the dream the, the catch dream or the dream trip? There are there are a bunch of atolls um, that are off Papua New Guinea, which is in the south, which is in the South Pacific. Mm-hmm. And my my dream trip is to go down there and spend like two weeks. Just just spend two weeks down there, and just um, you know, it's I can't wait to do that. I can't wait to just get down there, and you know, spend two weeks. And you, there's no hotels, anything. You basically camp on the beaches down there. Um, with the locals sounds amazing that does sound that does sound amazing i surf and so very similar and looking for those yeah, yeah. disappear yeah, off the I end know. of the earth and for yeah, me it's know. you know for you it's it's you and your reel and rod for me it's my board yeah I, I i can i can totally i've got a couple of those in my pocket as well yeah. um and yeah, and I've, I've tried to surf a few times yeah I don't know. I'm saying something right now. Somebody six eleven doesn't surf too good. <laughs> it is the taller you are. I, I mean, I'm six two, six three. I'm actually tall yeah. for a surfer. So yeah, yeah. there a lot of the the good guys are really. I, when I, I I was at uh, a Lakers game and I walked by Kelly Slater. He's like yeah. five 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 six. That's crazy. And, yeah, I mean he's tiny and and everything's double jointed. So like. It kind of explains in part why why he he does what he does. But yeah, trying to get inside a barrel when you're six three, you need <laughs> you need a well, bigger than average be, wave all, to be able to to pull you that also off. Got to be somewhat fearless. I mean, listen, everybody thinks surfing this and this and this. You can surf a small wave, and that water is so unforgiving. Like, yes. you hit that water the right way, man, it hurts. Like, yeah, it oh. really hurts. My my wife can tell you that, but she got she she got into it and she was she had never been drilled and she was out uh-huh. in waves starting out that she was just fearless and then on a medium sized day we went out and 
she got drilled into the sandbar and she's never been the same since she's like now 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 she picks her spots like uh, i don't want to go surf there i'll go surf with you here so you're exactly you're exactly right uh ocean is amazing thing man uh the uh what's the biggest fish you ever caught or the like the 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 fish the catch for you that you brings you the most pride brings a smile to your face every time you think about it um i was fishing in Vanuatu once again in the south pacific uh-huh. and we were doing a liverboard we we're doing a liverboard trip and my goal was always to get um over 100 pound uh dog tooth tuna and just the like the backdrop and being able to catch that fish and then take it back to the locals um like in the village that we were cool with um that was that was special because i finally got the catch that i wanted to do it there and like that night there was, like, there was a volcano eruption it, it was everything about that trip and you know the, that fish and even the fish were catching on that trip was everything was perfect cool very cool all right we usually start off the show with this as an icebreaker but since you and i know each other uh i, I didn't find it necessary but i do want to get to it jared yeah. scott carter jeffries Ex- explain the two middle names. Um, I, I'm not sure. My mom gave those to me and my brother. Carter is my mom's maiden name. And um, I, I really don't know. I, in, instead of doing that with my, keep my dad's name, yeah. my mom kept her maiden name from my brother. And it's funny because uh, obviously everybody knows Jay-Z, but long before Jay-Z, my mom knew who Jay-Z was, or I did. My little brother's name is Justin Sean Carter. Huh. Jeffries. So we have the same initials. So I noticed this one that my mom did for whatever reason. Interesting. All right. Hand-me-downs on the monograms. Maybe that's it. Who knows? Yeah, right? Yeah, maybe. Yeah, there you go. All right. He is Jared Jeffries. You can see him on the TV studio shows with the Washington Wizards. You can also... Check out his new podcast, Rookie Year, a multitude of pro athletes from not just the NBA, but every sport you can think of, talking about their first year as a pro and all the trials and tribulations that go with it and the stories from them. Uh, Is there, give us, give us a, a, a rundown of a couple of the guests that you have had or that you plan to have so that people know what they're tuning in for. Um. We got, you know, Sue Bird, Gabrielle Reese, um, Willie Rofe, Tony Gonzalez, uh, who else? Isaac Holt, Corey Brewer, Al Harrington. So That's pretty good. Get, you know, yeah, just get a, like, a diverse group of people. Yeah. Um, be on the show, talk about their rookie year, and then also about a little bit about their, you know, playing days and their post-career days and what they're currently doing. Very cool. Jared, always a pleasure. Thank you so much for taking the time, and uh, we'll be checking out the podcast for sure. All right, buddy. I appreciate it, man. All right, that does it for this episode of Buker and Friends. I want to thank Jared Jeffries once again for joining us. In the next podcast, I'll be joined by Will Blackman. We will get into not only a breakdown of the two NFC and AFC championship games between Tennessee and Kansas City and Green Bay and San Francisco. Get Will's expert analysis of those, but also the decision by Travis Etienne, the running back from Clemson, 
on staying for his senior year. It's a decision that Will had to make once upon a time in his career. We'll see what he thinks about the decision that Travis made. Don't forget, please rate and review our podcast wherever you get it, iTunes or wherever. And then if you want us to do something for you, screenshot that review and send it to at Buker Friends and you will be eligible to win some prizes. Once again, for Jared and myself, as always, thanks for listening. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.